Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, you might have heard about the new 988 hotline that went live this summer. It's meant to help people in emotional distress, kind of like 911, but for mental health emergencies. There's been a lot of excitement for this hotline, but there's also been some challenges during the rollout. We're with Dr. Jack Roselle. He's the medical director of Resolve Crisis Services in Pittsburgh. It's Thursday, September 15th. I'm Morgan Moody, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. The first phone number I learned was 911, and I feel like I quickly learned when to call them and when not to call. Um, So what would someone use the 988 hotline for? So the idea of 988 came up as a discussion amongst a lot of us uh, in the emergency mental health field several years ago with the idea that we needed something that was going to be more memorable, more accessible than the 10-digit National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number, uh, that 1-800-273-TALK number that you know sort of goes as a chiron across the screen after a major tragic event or gets mentioned at the end of a news story about suicide or mental health issues. Um, it's a good number, but it doesn't flow off the tongue as easily as 911, and we wanted something that's going to be more accessible. So when people call this number, they get routed to a local crisis intervention center. Can you give us the lay of the land? How many centers are there in Pittsburgh, and is it enough to meet the demand? Yeah, so here in Allegheny County, uh, Resolve Crisis Services provides all the community-facing emergency mental health services uh, mostly. So we are the primary crisis line. Uh, both through our local 10-digit Allegheny County number, which is 888-7-YOU-CAN, as well as through the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. We provide uh, limited coverage for uh, texting and messaging currently through the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline hub and access points, and hopefully eventually through our own local number as well. We provide mobile crisis services where we have teams that go out uh, 24-7 to any area of the county. We have walk-in and we have residential services. We've been doing all of this uh, confidentially and without charge to the individual since 2008. And on a given day, we provide a couple hundred services, and it varies a little bit, uh, ebbs and flows over time. Um, but generally, we're looking at a couple hundred phone calls. Uh, a, d- and a, few a, dozen, a day? A day, wow. yes. Um, and a few dozen mobile crisis visits every day. When we look at sort of national comparative numbers, we're, we're one of the busier centers that's out there. Are there a percentage of calls uh, that don't get through? Or what percentage of calls actually get through? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, and the statistic we talk about in the field is the abandon rate. The good news is is that with 988, because of the way it's set up, if we are not able to answer that call within 120 seconds, then it's going to roll over to one of our, our partner centers. Uh, and we're actually we're one of 13 network centers here in the city of Pennsylvania, or I'm sorry, in the state of Pennsylvania. 200 calls or a couple hundred calls a day. Um, is that up at all from previous years or, or? When we look back over the data, you know, since inception, uh, demand has been going up. Unfortunately, um, the great resignation did not give mental health or emergency mental health services a pass yeah. uh, over the past two years. And like just about every other crisis center I know of, we are understaffed. And that means our ability to answer the calls a- as quickly, uh, as promptly as we would like to has diminished. Um, so unfortunately, the-, the calls have gone up more than we've been able to answer. But we're still able to answer most of the calls within a fairly short window. 
How do these centers help keep people out of emergency departments? Before Resolve was created, we actually did some surveys of people said, hey, you know, if you were in crisis, if someone you cared about was in crisis, what do you do? And the modal answer is we'd go to the emergency department. And an emergency department can be a great place if you have a, a life-threatening situation, mm-hmm. right? If you're imminently suicidal, if you're imminently violent, if there's no other appropriate lower level of care uh, to support you, or if you just don't know where else to go. But the nice thing about crisis programs like Resolve is we can work with people across the spectrum of issues. And by the way, it doesn't have to be about a diagnosis. All it needs to be about is, hey, I need help. I'm feeling overwhelmed or like I'm about to be overwhelmed or I'm seeing my loved one sort of getting closer and closer to that precipice and I want to find a way to help them. And what I always say about crisis services is if you're in distress, if you're open to a dialogue, then you can get assistance through a crisis program. Whereas traditional emergency mental health models, it's, um, you know, the the line we use is it's kind of like the roller coaster, right? You got to be this lethal to ride the ride. And mm-hmm. if someone is very suicidal or very homicidal and has the right diagnosis, they'll be admitted. But, you know, there's broader interventions to address, you know, if you want to call them the social determinants of health or just life in 2022 of, you know, issues with relationships and housing and employment and education and, you know, where am I going to get food? You know, all these day-to-day stressors that Mm -hmm. people are really struggling with are things we can help them with. Who are the people on the other end of the line taking the calls? Like what kind of qualifications uh, does someone has to have to be a crisis specialist? So here at Resolve, we use trained clinicians. And so these are people with some type of academic uh, training in behavioral health mm-hmm. and some amount of experience in the field of mental health. And we do quite a bit of you know on-the-job on training uh, of usually about four to eight weeks of uh, observed training before they're on their own on the phones. Is there a connection between um, 988 and 911? Because you know some people calling 988 are calling that hotline specifically to avoid police involvement. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Generally, when we encounter someone over the phone, uh, engaging with 911, it's an intervention of last resort. Mm. So if we believe that there's some kind of imminent safety concern, and if we don't contact 911 uh, for that active intervention, uh, that serious injury or death might result. Um, But that's, you know, just a few percent of our overall call volume. Most of our calls are supported on the phone, Mm -hmm. which by the way, it's kind of different than traditional 911 services, right? You know, if I pick up the phone and dial 911 and say, hey, my house is burning down. And they say, okay, let's talk about some coping skills. I'd be scratching my head. And say, okay, <laughs> I was expecting a little bit more than that. Right. But in fact, we, we resolve the vast majority of the people who call for our services um, with support over the phone and calls that might last, you know, five to 10 minutes in length. We send out, like I said, a few dozen mobile crisis calls every day. It works out yeah, roughly about 10% of our calls end up being mobile crisis. And these teams are, we're in unmarked vehicles, we're casually dressed. Uh, sometimes we do respond with law enforcement or at the request of law enforcement mm-hmm. or engage law enforcement. But again, if we're engaging law enforcement, it's seen as a last resort. Um, like if that person's a, a threat to themselves or, or somebody else. Yeah. You know, the, there's been... Concerns raised, which I think are actually accurate perceptions, that if you call 988, uh, law enforcement or paramedics may get involved. But they may get involved because that's what's necessary to save somebody's life. Mm-hmm. Uh, put bluntly, it's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Uh, it's not the standby and don't help someone lifeline. Yeah. 
The show today is brought to you by an incredible local resource, AIDS Free Pittsburgh, and their pledge to end the HIV AIDS epidemic in Allegheny County by 2030. If that is a cause that is close to your heart, make sure you're around for their biggest event of the summer, the sixth annual Too Hot for July. It is a party, but it is also a chance to get confidential HIV and STI testing for free, plus info on the incredible preventative medicines we have now to keep yins happy, healthy, and feeling your most confident out on the town. So come on out to Allegheny Commons East Park on Thursday, May 30th. Yes, July is in the name, but the event is in May. Don't get confused. May 30th from 4 to 10 p.m. There will be DJ sets, a health fair and marketplace, a ballroom-inspired dance battle, cash bar, food trucks, and more. Plus, a performance by Tony Award winner Alex Newell, a.k.a. Unique, from Glee. This is all thanks to True Tea Pittsburgh and so many folks doing the good work out here in the community. So do not miss out. Learn more at TooHotForJuly.com. What has it uh, been like for crisis centers here in Pittsburgh since uh, 988 launched? We knew there was going to be a surge in volume. And the first weekend, our lifeline call volumes doubled, even tripled. Uh, and we sort of saw that sustained over the first week or so. But it was what uh, one of my colleagues described as the looky-loose. So it wasn't that on that Saturday morning in July, you know, three times as many people come said, aha, I'm in crisis. But yeah. what happened was they heard a podcast, they saw a news story, and they said, oh, look, there's this number. And so it was a lot of phone calls where people dialed it up, and then you sort of hear, hey, honey, the phone number works, right? Yeah. You know, and by the way, glad that they're learning the number, glad that they're comfortable using it. Absolutely. Um, overall, our volumes uh, for our call center, on a given day, they vary, you know, maybe 20 to 30%, and only about 10 to 15% of our incoming calls are lifeline calls. So we saw a little bit of variation, but it it wasn't highly disruptive to our usual flow. Mm-hmm. Over time, we do expect the number of lifeline calls to go up um, and how much of that is completely new volume versus it's offset from our usual 10-digit call volume, uh, we're waiting to see. But again, looking over the past 20 years of data, uh, we'd be fools to expect that call volumes are not going to continue to trend up. So with the call volume eventually going up, um, you already said there's kind of like at least a lack of of specialists to work. Yeah. What other resources uh, do you need? So, uh, you know, staffing uh, is a big issue. Uh, dollars uh, to make sure that the, the staff we have and the staff we're hiring are paid what they are worth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm really grateful that, you know, it's there's a lot of people putting their shoulder to this uh, to the wheel on this to make sure that we're making some progress, uh, both within uh, the UPMC system, within Allegheny County uh, and, and across the state. Unfortunately, um, every crisis center I know of in the state uh, and, and just about everyone I know across the country wrestling with the same issue. Dollars are going to be a necessary part of the fix. They're not the only part of the fix. Um, there, there's some broader workforce issues as well. And what are the primary challenges um, or pitfalls of running a crisis intervention center, especially right now? You know, it, it's more than 988 that's happening right now. 988 gathered a lot of the hot, uh, a lot of the headlines. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, it's sort of a tectonic shift in how we access some of these services, but it's just one of a broad array of national strategic initiatives around improving crisis response. Part of this is coming from SAMHSA about how do we re-envision what crisis services can be, um, and they talk about these three core elements of somebody to talk to, somebody to come to you, 
someplace to go. And those are actually services that we've been delivering here in the greater Pittsburgh region since 2008 as part of the Resolve model. And in fact, as SAMHSA started saying, hey, what should a national you know, best practice look like for crisis services? We were one of the, one of the first programs that they looked at closely. So we, we've been able to do that. We've been able to deliver on that for quite a while. Um, part of this is also, I think, broader recognition that there's a lot of stuff that police do respond to uh, that maybe we don't want police responding to. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, when police respond to someone with a, a behavioral or a psychiatric crisis, it goes well. And sometimes it goes great, but sometimes it goes awful. Yeah. And the repercussions are tragic and seismic. And nobody wants to see that happen. Um, in fact, here in Pittsburgh, we just hosted uh, about two weeks ago uh, an international conference uh, on something called Crisis Intervention Teams, which is where we try to figure out how to get law enforcement to do a better job responding to these emergencies, knowing that even in a city as well-resourced as we are here in Pittsburgh, often they will be the first responders. And mm-hmm. again, most of the time it goes okay, but if it goes wrong, the repercussions can be heart-wrenchingly terrible. And with that, are, does like specialist diversity uh, factor into this at all? So, you know, people that are LGBT friendly, um, racially diverse. Yes. You know, the and a lot of different ways to describe what, what the aim is, but, you know, being culturally humble, being diverse, being, uh, you know, espousing concepts of inclusion and belonging. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when you're in crisis, who comes to the door matters. And making sure that we have the right people to help people be more comfortable at their time of need is a really important part uh, of, of our strategic vision and what we're trying to do uh, with our program. Jack, what are your hopes for the future of, of crisis intervention here? About 60 years ago uh, in Pittsburgh, Freedom House uh, was created. And as your listeners may or may not know, uh, Freedom House was the first paramedic program in the United States. Mm -hmm. And before then, if you were in a car crash and you needed medical assistance, a lot of times the people who responded would be like the undertaker from the funeral (laughs) home or the medical examiner. And you can imagine, you know, there's a little bit of bias built into that model, right? So, uh, and what happened in the 60s with a lot of the demonstrations uh, in the Hill District and uh, eastern parts of the city, there was sort of a self-created group of incredibly competent and skilled street medics. Yeah, the program started as a way to serve the black community in the Hill District, and most of its staff were black too. And they started partnering with Presbyterian Hospital to develop the very first paramedic program with their Department of Emergency Medicine. And this was all back in the 60s at the same time that we were just creating a specialty of emergency medicine Mm -hmm. to work in the emergency departments at the time that we're creating 911 as a national access point for first responders. And so there was a lot of stuff happening back then. And I think where we are with 988 today in 2022 is far ahead of where we were with pre-hospital emergency medicine and uh, 911 was back in the 60s, but we certainly aren't where they are today. Uh, But we have a huge opportunity now between initiatives from SAMHSA, issues from justice reform, um, issues from my own field of emergency psychiatry. We're actually trying to establish ourselves as a formal specialty. I think Mm -hmm. we're at the same inflection point uh, to, to see what these services will transform into and hopefully something that means that if you or a loved one's in crisis, it's easy, it's reflexive, it's accessible, it's inclusive, it's affordable to have someone to immediately respond and support you uh, in a way that that respects your, your dignity and rights as a human being. 
Dr. Roselle is the medical director of Resolve Crisis Services. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. A little more news before you go. 700 nursing home employees from across Pennsylvania got their demands met for better working conditions, proving that striking works. Workers from Comprehensive, Shenandoah Heights, and Priority Healthcare nursing homes were on strike for about a week before reaching an agreement with their employers. The contract includes things like higher wages and better health insurance. And Allegheny County Council voted to create a new Department of Sustainability. The county already has an Office of Sustainability, but a standalone department can get more funding and more attention. It'll set goals for every county department and release an annual public report, among other things. So the department goes into effect on January 1st. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend, leave us a a lovely rating and, and review, subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. So we'll see you then. I have my camera off because I am like hunched over. I look like a troll.